Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Adam Stevens, 2100's official London correspondent, weighing in on antiques. Now, I come from a country of old things. We have old dusty castles and old dusty ruins and even our golden age is far enough away to be very old and dusty indeed. Thanks to budget cuts in social care, our elderly, who care so very much about old and dusty things, are now old and dusty themselves. I guess, to me, antiques have value inside museums and private collections, so people can get a little bit of perspective about how good they have it, but there's something inherently sad about the idea of keeping antiques in your home, you know, just hanging around, not doing anything except reminding overly romantic people about some poetic time in history that definitely never really existed in the way that they imagine it. I'm sure the Ming Dynasty of China made some quality fancy jars, but with modern processes, hey, we can do even better right now for the low, low price of $4.99, and they won't even be made by slaves unless you get shipped by Amazon. You know, a little like the stereotypical old lady with too many photos of her house of the good old days, but no photos from the past 10 years. I think people who surround themselves with old things as as people who don't want to live in, and this is an objective fact for me, the greatest period humanity has ever had right now. I've seen people who collect things from World War II and they prize these things as though life was so cool back then, you know, back when men were men and there was liberty and justice for all and we were fighting Hitler. People love that time, but right now? We have less poverty, more equality, less famine, less of any of those four horsemen of the apocalypse than we ever have in history. Surround yourself with now. I really hope in 2100 the world continues its trend of being, I mean, you know, problematic, that's why we love it, but objectively better than ever in terms of global peace and prosperity. And people aren't collecting shit like the iPhone and declaring it art. That'd be, that'd be pretty sad. If you're listening to this in 2100, hi. Uh, I really hope you're not listening to this on your vintage antique iPhone X. Uh, you, I'm sure you've got nicer stuff than this. Go get nicer stuff. If 2019 was a lot better than 1919, sure, but unless things have gone horribly wrong and you're listening to this from some post-apocalyptic wasteland, you can do better. Do better. Two thousand one hundred. Two thousand one hundred. 
2100. Welcome to the 2100 Podcast. My name is Jason Peters. My name is Jason Peters. What are your feelings on antiques and old things? Are things inherently valuable because they're old? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Antique Roadshow 2100 edition. My name is Jason Peters. You just heard London-based entertainment journalist Adam Stevens. Today, we're talking about antiques. What is an antique? A collectible object that has high value because of its considerable age. Isn't that definition vague? One man's trash is another woman's treasure, you know. But what's the difference between trash, treasure, and an antique? One day my belongings could be the antique of someone alive in the year 2100. But not everything I own. Most stuff in 2020 is mass-produced, so wouldn't mass-produced goods be less valuable over time? Who knows? My next guest made more than a quarter million dollars selling a single antique. Wow, isn't that neat? Welcome to the program, Scoop Cooper. I just turned 75 couple weeks ago. I have kind of an eclectic background. Uh, yeah, I saw your friend retired. Yes, Doc Emmerich. Yes, well, we worked together for 43 years. Uh, I've worked in hockey for half a century, uh, covered about 3,000 hockey games, uh, worked in broadcasting, was a, was a writer, was a team PR man. I've uh, been a historian. I've written nine books, four of them on North American railroad history and five on uh, ice hockey. I'm a a long-time blogger on uh, hockey, hockey history, and other subjects. Uh, I've been a pilot. Uh, I've worked in Grand Opera. Mm-hmm. I've been a school teacher. I've been a college administrator. Let's see what else I've done. I, I think that's 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 pretty <laughs> okay. good. That's pretty good to start. I mean, okay. All right. So, what 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 are your feelings on antiques and old things? Are things inherently valuable because they're old? Um, how do you feel? What are your thoughts? Yes. Well, my, uh, my, my view on artifacts and antiques is uh, not, not so much the object, but what the object has, quote unquote, seen, so to speak. Now, for instance, I have sort of a small collection of miscellaneous coins going back to ancient Roman coins and mm. that kind of thing. No, none of these are extraordinarily uh, valuable because kinds of coins and, and other artifacts I look for are not things that are um, that are mint condition but I like things that have been used and what one of the, the one of the expressions I always use is uh, I have some some ancient Roman coins and some little silver coins and I'll put that coin in my hand and I'll say to my ask myself the question how many Roman whores did this coin uh. take for <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's uh, the, that's the same thing with uh, I, I collect artifacts that are associated with uh, uh, transportation. For instance, I have a uh, a nine inch uh, piece of girder from the uh, airship Hindenburg. Wow, you have a piece uh, of the Hindenburg? Yes, I will have a, a, a piece of the girder from the Hindenburg. That's that's a, that does that's the Zeppelin plane that uh, was yeah. commissioned out of Germany, right? Yeah, that, no, that it exploded. A, it, was a, it was a German Zeppelin that uh, exploded and burned up in uh, at Lakehurst in May of 1937. Yeah, it's pretty much why we stopped the whole Zeppelin thing. 
Well, yes, that was the that was basically the end of, of the of the airships. Yeah. I have a I have a piece of fabric from the Spirit of St. Louis that was on it when it flew across the ocean in May of 1927. I have a, a little pulley from the the China Clipper, which was Pan American Air uh, Airways flying boat that was the first to fly. Are you bidding for, on these? How did you get this stuff? Oh, oh no. All of, a lot of these things I found, well, some of these things I found in auctions, uh, some of these things I have uh, found on eBay and miscellaneous mm-hmm. in antique shops and in uh, flea markets. You know, you know, I mean, I've been collecting this kind of thing for more than half a century. No, I much enjoy <laughs> uh, antique shops and uh, yeah. old things. Uh, I But I'm a little perplexed about the value of old things and like how... Yeah, like the economy based around it. Because in my opinion, most economies are fake. They're kind of fixed and rigged and made up. But the antique economy kind is kind of like the art economy where it kind of admits that it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of rigged. Well, whatever, whatever someone's willing to pay for something is the value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, it's what, you know, but, but, you know, to me, but most of the things that I've gotten, I've gotten relatively inexpensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I mean, I haven't, you know, spent thousands of dollars on things. You know, I just, I just find them basically at, uh, serendipitously or by happenstance. I have a great deal of, uh, what's called Lindberghiana, which is, uh, things that are associated with Charles Lindbergh. Okay. Uh, cause I collect what's called postal history mm-hmm. and, and postal history is different than stamp collecting. It's, it's collecting, uh, art, uh, mailed articles that are postmarked and uh, mm-hmm. are, are are associated with some you know first flight from some place or okay so forth. I but I so I actually I have I have uh, several pieces of uh, mail that was the only mail ever carried by Lindbergh in the spirit of St. Louis. Well, I feel like we could just do a whole episode about your various antiques. Give me one and second, real quick, Scoop. I'm getting a phone call. I believe I, I delivered. I ordered medicine to be delivered to my house because I'm sick. Hello. Oh, okay. Hi, this is Joe Pop. I'm coming in front of your door now. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'll come out in just one second. Okay. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll, Scoop, I'll be right back. I apologize. Yeah, sure. yeah no problem. I'll, I'm coming right now. Ah. Uh. Sorry about that scoop. I'm under the weather. I had to get medicine and some seltzers delivered. Okay. Well, as long as you don't have COVID, uh, you know, that's... I'm of no threat to you. We're over Zoom. (laughs) Okay. Do you think I'm going to give you COVID over Zoom? No, no, no. As long as you don't have it, as long as that's not what you're sick with, uh, because that's something to avoid. Okay. So I'll ask again. How did you get the chair? All right. So I've known the chair all my life. I knew it in my... Grandfather's house. He was born when Lincoln was president. In uh, and uh, going back a little further, my first Cooper ancestor arrived in Philadelphia in 1679. So uh, my yeah, his name was James Cooper. He came from England. Uh, he settled at what is now Third and Chestnut Street. And um, then after that, he he removed to um, around 1700. He moved to uh, Lancaster County. Um, and uh, the 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 that Cooper line stayed there until my grandfather, who was born in Burdenham, Pennsylvania, which is in the Pennsylvania Dutch country, 
1865, when the month before Lincoln was was assassinated. And so the uh, Cooper family family line has been in North America longer than America has been in America. Well, actually, my first emigrant ancestor that I have identified arrived in 1635. Yep. So you guys predate the country. Uh, well, yes. And I've uh, I've done a lot of personal genealogy, and I've identified over 90 emigrant ancestors who are direct ancestor grandparents uh, who arrived here between 1635 and 1800. So you have you have you you you've got pretty thick roots here in America. Uh, yes, and I'm actually descended from uh, most of my ancestry is either through New England or through uh, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania ones are all are all Quakers, so I'm I'm descended from a lot of of the early Quakers that that settled in this area, and on uh, the New England side, I'm descended through the Treat family. Uh, and Governor Robert Treat, who was colonial governor of Connecticut in the late uh, uh, 17th century, so yeah. I have pretty long, pretty long roots. I, would, I was going to say my family. My family's only been in America in the 1900s. Yeah, I think I'm third or fourth generation. I always right. forget. It's, yeah, so it's very confusing to me. So I am ninth. I'm a ninth generation descendant of James Cooper, who arrived in Philadelphia in 16. Um, 1679 and uh, he was actually brought over by William Penn okay so here's another question how did you discover that the chair was valuable you don't don't well, tell us why it's valuable tell okay us no why. I won't tell you <clears throat> well and when my uh, when my father died in 1970 uh, when my grandfather died in 1961 the chair went to my father my father passed away in 1974. The chair came to me, and I uh, put it in my house, and it was sitting by my front door for 45 years. And I put my mail on it. So the way I, uh, I knew the chair was old, but I didn't know anything about its history. I just knew it was an old chair that had been in our family for at least 150 years. Now, when I used to go up to Maine in the 1950s, when I was a kid, I used to stay with my great uncle, who lived in a house that was built in 1840 by a man named Captain Benjamin Bentley Park. This was, he was a sea captain. And several years ago, the house was, was up for sale in a, um, in a, in a bank sale. Mm-hmm. Now, when I, when I go to Maine in the summer, what I do is I take pictures every day and post them on Facebook, and what I call my daily pictures from Maine. And so one day, a couple of years ago, I posted a picture of this house, and I uh, wrote, wrote a long sort of history of all of my family connections with this house through the, through the Treat family, and because it, it was just something, you know, it was something to post that particular day. So when I got back home, I got a... Uh, a friend request from a man named Paul Ruley, who mm. was in Connecticut. Now, I get a lot of friend requests on Facebook, and most of them are either people that uh, are interested in my politics or interested in hockey. Mm. And so whenever I get a friend request, I look at the person's page and to see which one it is. <laughs> and this one was, was neither. I couldn't figure out why this man... It was friend requesting me, but he looked like a reasonable person. 
So I accepted it. And he sent me a message saying that he had been living in, um, in Maine and Boston so far there for years. And he and his wife were, had decided they wanted to move to Maine. Mm. And they had just been up to Maine and looked at a, a bunch of houses. And this was one of the houses they looked at. And then he came across, by doing a Google search, he came across this picture that I had posted and my description of the history of the house. And he said it was, even though this house was not their first choice, he was so taken by the history that I wrote on the house that this is the house they decided to buy. So they bought the house and moved in two years ago when I was up there for the summer. I, you know, I'd been in contact with them for, you know, half a year or so. So when visited him, we became close friends. And his uh, his profession is well. He was he was formerly a, a civil engineer, but all his life he had also been very interested in woodworking and carpentry, and had become one of the world's leading makers of reproduction colonial American furniture. Talk about it, serendipity, it, Jesus yes. Christ! A Facebook <laughs> and, message uh, yeah. that uh, that somehow related to a real estate transaction is how you discovered that you had a valuable chair. Well, that, that's how I discovered Paul Rooley. Okay. All right. So I, I spent a month up there in, in Maine. We became close friends. And, and a day or two before I left to come back to Philadelphia, I said, Paul, I've, I've got this old chair at home. I don't know what it is, but you know, you know a lot about colonial furniture. So let, let me send you a couple pictures of it. Maybe you can identify it for me because I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I just know it's an old chair, and uh, I know it may be worth a you know a couple thousand dollars, maybe, but you know maybe not even that much, you know. But I don't, you know, I, I have no idea what it is. So he said, "Oh, okay, you know, so you send the pictures and I'll, if I mean, if I can figure out what it is, I'll let you know." So I did that when I got when I got home. I took three or four pictures of it and sent them to him. And about ten minutes later, he he responded. And he says, your chair is a, a 1750 Philadelphia carved walnut composite Queen Anne side chair. Oh. It's the holy grail of American colonial furniture. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, you need to call up the art museum, take it down there and have them look at it. The Philadelphia Art Museum. Did you go to museum. the art museum? Was that one of yeah. the steps? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I called up the uh, curator of uh, American American decorative arts and furniture and so forth and said, you know, I've got this chair. I sent him a couple of pictures. You know, I, I've been told that it's, that it's a Queen Anne chair from Philadelphia from 17, roughly 1750. And you know, I'd like to bring it down there and have you look at it and, you know, see what you think which I did, mm -hmm. and uh, they, they looked at it and they said, that's exactly what it is. We have one of the, we have one of the mates to this chair. Their, their chair is an armchair, which they've had since 1955. There are two armchairs from this set. One is at the Winter Tour Museum, and they have the other one. So one of your chairs, so the, one of the chairs that your chair was a set of was in the museum already? Yeah, yes, and then there was, and they, and they said there are only six other known side chairs from the set that still exist or that are, you know, that are, that are known. One of, them's, one of them's in the Ford Museum in Detroit and the other five are in private hands. 
And this chair that you've brought down here is the first, first one, one that has been identified, the first new one that's been identified in more than 100 years. It was probably made by Samuel Harding. And Samuel Harding was a, uh, a cabinet maker and furniture maker in Philadelphia in the 1750s. And he also did all the millwork in Independence Hall. Jesus, and it was given to Samuel Powell? And it, it was made probably in 1753 for Samuel Powell, the, uh, Samuel Powell II, who was a prominent uh, merchant and importer in Philadelphia at the time. And he and his wife both died in 1759. They, she has a copy or photocopy of the um, inventory from their from their estate, and the chairs, the, the 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 set of chairs is listed in the inventory, so they know that this is was made for made for them. All right, so let's 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 get to it. How much yeah. was this chair sold for at auction? Well, let, 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 let me tell. A little okay, bit more before, get, you, got before it, you, got I, you got it. 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 So it's 1759 when when they died. I believe the chair went to their daughter, Abigail Powell Griffiths, and she was her husband's name was Griffiths. He was in their very prominent Philadelphia. And her brother was Samuel Powell III, who in 1776 was mayor of Philadelphia. Ah, and, yes, yes, yes. This is the Powell and, I know about. Yes, and lived next door to George Washington on 3rd Street. The Powell house is still down there. And so both Samuel Powell the the third, the mayor, colonial mayor of Philadelphia during the Second Continental Congress, and his sister both had lots of dinner parties, and so all of the so this was a dining room chair, which is what a side chair is. So it is very probable, if not almost certain, that among the people that have sat in this chair over when it was in their possession were. George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Jefferson and Hancock John Adams, and Ad, all John Adams, all of them would have probably at one time sat in this chair because every night during the Continental Con the Convention they had the, the they went they had parties, and mm. since these since the Powells and the Griffiths were you know, the population of Philadelphia at the time was about thirty thousand. Oh wow! You know it was it was a very you know so. And then these these were the pillars of society. So this this chair was literally sat in by almost certainly by George Washington and, and the rest of them. Yeah, and he he Powell himself is no joke. He was a yeah. uh, speaker of the Senate you know, for Pennsylvania. Yeah, he, uh, he was. Yeah, you know, he was a very he was he was twice mayor of Philadelphia. He was mm -hmm. you know this was a very prominent family. And Powelton Village in, in in West Philadelphia is named after the Powells because that's that's where his his um, summer home was. Because so the man that, who owned the man who owned your chair was the was the mayor of Philadelphia while it was a colony, and then he was the mayor of Philadelphia yeah. while it was a city within a country. Yeah, right. Well, he was a mayor during the Second Continental Congress. Mm -hmm. He was the mayor of Philadelphia with the when the 4th of July, 1776 happened. And, and actually, and then in 1787 through 89, when they were writing 
the Constitution, much of it was, was written in the Powell House. So mm. it is it very, very possible that, 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 that they were they sitting, sitting in, in this, this chair that I had while the, 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 the Constitution was being written. written. That's, well, that explains why it was yeah. worth so much. Yeah. So, as you said, it's about how much an item has seen of the yes. world. Well, that is, you know, that has a lot to do with the provenances, identifying, you know, where where it's been and who owned it. So, two years ago, two days before Thanksgiving, I decided that, you know, I've had this chair for for forty five years. I'm not married and don't have kids. I don't really have anybody to leave it to. That. Uh, I was I was going to sell it. So uh, I I had I previously sent some pictures of the chair to Christie's auction house in uh, in New York, and had got had gotten a call. This was several months earlier uh, from uh, a man named John Hayes, who is the vice chairman of Christie's, and he said, you know, we're really interested in this in auctioning this chair. It would be really something nice if you want to sell it. So I, at that time, I said, I don't know what I want to do with it, whether I'm going to sell it or, you know, whatever, but I'll let you know. So two days before Thanksgiving, I gave him a call and said, um, uh, I think I'd like to consign the chair to. And he says, well, our, our annual auction of Colonial American Furniture is in January during what's called Americana Week in uh, mm-hmm. in the in New York, for that's when all the auction houses and so forth have their sales of American colonial furniture and other things, paintings and the like. He said, now that auction is already closed, but obviously we'll open it for you for this chair no. because this is, you know, this would be a prime piece for our auction. So he said, um, uh, so I said, you know, can somebody come and pick it up? And he said, uh, yeah. Since, uh, now, tomorrow's obviously Thanksgiving. We can't do it tomorrow. How about Friday? And I said, Friday, I'm working on NBC's telecast of the Black Friday Flyers game with the Rangers, so I can't do it Friday. He says, okay, well, how about Monday? And I said, Monday's fine. He says, now, I'm going to come down personally to pick this up. The, the deputy chairman of Christie's, I'm in charge of 18 departments here, so I don't do this anymore. But for this chair, I'm coming down personally to pick up the chair. So 10 o'clock on Monday morning, he shows up at my door. He arrives on the street in a in this black SUV that looks like it's from the uh, pre- the presidential motorcade. Yeah, which kind of kind of uh, caused a bit of a stir on the street. You see this this big you know, uh, big you know SUV Man. show up. Yeah. So in the interim, I called Paul and I said, you know, I'm going to going to going to sell the chair and uh so he says well when when they when you come down there when you're negotiating the deal uh ask them if they will as part of the deal if they will pay if they will commission him to make a reproduction of the chair for me which which he said he could do for two thousand dollars that's good so so i said fine i'll do that so they came John came down here. We went over the contract. So he, uh, we signed the papers. He wrapped it up and took it off. And so the auction took place at, at the Christie's headquarters for the Americas in New York, which is at at uh, Thirty Rockefeller Plaza. So I took the took the train up to New York from the Ardmore Station. Goes right into um, Penn Station uh, on January 18th. I go up to go up to Christie's. They gave me a 
a, a suite that overlooked uh, the auction floor. It came up and uh, the auction of the chair actually lasted about three minutes, three, for, three or four minutes, which is a long time. Yeah, that is long. For, for, one, for, 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 one, for, for one lot at an auction. And with the buyer's premium, the chair sold for $348,500. So let me ask you this. So you, so you sold a chair for nearly $400,000. You got an right. exact replica of that chair that is worth actually, they Actually, I got, I got two. Yeah, so for four thousand, so you have two two thousand dollar chairs that look exactly the same as the four hundred thousand dollar chair. Yes. Does it matter to you at all that the chairs are replicas? No, because they they they're they're absolutely gorgeous. He t he took a year to make them, and they're they're made of you know a dark walnut and uh, you know a black walnut, and you know I mean they're absolutely gorgeous. This is gorgeous. what I mean though about antiques. You had a thing that you cared about, you liked, and it was worth yeah. $400,000. There was an exact replica. You have two of them. If you put right. all three in a room, it would probably be difficult to tell which one is which. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the, you know, but the polar, one of polar. them is worth a hundred times, uh, no, 200 times as much as a replica. The real thing is 200 times more valuable than the replica in the eyes of the world, quote unquote. Well, yeah, because of its history and and uh, you know and and so forth, and and that's fine. No, I had it for 45 years. You know, you can't take it with you, mm. and uh, I wasn't really, you know, wasn't going to leave it to anybody. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, does, did it bother you, know, you at all to sell it? Did it affect you? Did you no. did you feel like the spirit of the founding fathers was leaving your house? No, not really, because I it had been here for forty five years, and uh, you know I, that was you know that was it was time to move it on. It kind of helps that you didn't yeah. know how special it was your whole yeah. life. Right, right. You know, and it's and also I'm as I said seventy five. Uh, don't have that many more years left. I mean, I'm not circling the drain just yet and still yeah. can get around. But it's, you know, I've always lived, uh, I've always worked, most of my life I've worked as a, a freelancer and, and so forth. So, I mean, I'm comfortable, but I'm not wealthy by any means. Well, uh, I mean, now that the chair, now that the chair is yeah. sold, yeah, so yeah, you're the, probably so sitting the, so a little the, prettier. Well, you know, so, no, so the, cha the, you know, the chair gives me a nice, you know the the, the 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 what I got was the hammer price, which was two hundred eighty thousand, and then the 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 other sixty eight thousand five hundred was the buyer's premium. That's still a pretty quarter yeah. million dollars. Yeah, sure. You know, no, I mean it's I it was uh, probably way more exciting than a chair. Yeah. Yes, yeah, no, it's it's uh, when I when that check came in the mail, it, it looked very nice. One check, and my name on it, and it said two hundred eighty thousand dollars. One check, ooh, ah, oh, good living. <laughs> you know, so and uh, and it actually turned out to be very fortuitous um, because if you know if the chair went up for auction now during the pandemic, probably wow. would not get nearly. You know, nearly as it was a buyer's market. It was yeah. a seller's market. Seller's market. Yeah. Seller's market. Well, actually, if I had sold the chair five years earlier, there was another one of these chairs that's from the same set that sold five years earlier. It sold for five hundred fifty thousand. Uh, well, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's you know, it's a, it's what's, uh, this is called brown furniture, 
and that's mm. and uh, you know the millennials are not interested in brown furniture; they're interested in later stuff. Yeah, and the the millennials are the big market right now. So, so the price went. It was it was, but still, two hundred eighty thousand was you Nothing know. Nothing to complain about. Yeah, you know, it was it was more than a thousand bucks. Is what well, maybe it was worth. Do you have anything else you want to say about antiques? And do you have anything you'd like to say to the people of the year 2100? Well, uh, let me let me quote George Santiano, who said, "Those who uh, fail to remember uh, remember the past are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past." So, knowing history is is really important. And to me, as I you know, I've taught, I said that history is very important, and uh, you know because we are the product of what went before us. And uh, unfortunately, today, uh, history and and civics is not very well taught in American high high schools. And um, you know, kids today really have no sense of where this nation came from and how it was founded and how. Uh, how how rare a, a a successful democratic republic is this one's lasted for 240 years now or so uh, but that's this is a rarity in human history so so cherish history and respect it and learn about what your ancestors and forefathers did because it's important and you you are a product of everything that came before you so I guess that's my message. So for the people in, in uh, uh, 2100, think about what we are doing here in 2020. Well, that's, it, that's the reason we exist, baby. That's yeah. The show exists. Yes. So that people have a general idea that our lives aren't so different than theirs. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. That, and that everything's kind of the same. Time is a flat circle and everything repeats yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So I can get busy just one more time to the beat and you don't quit. It's that old school rap with that new school hit. Need a pipe and pick a pump up a cool rap to rock. And I can still rip up the house. Every goddamn time I get on the mic, I go crazy. Peace out the CeeLo flex and Doug lazy. I bet you never knew, but now you know I'm the undisputed king of this disco And I never let the mic mic not tie me no more Cause DJ Cool rip up the whole damn flow Now I'ma rock around with the greatest of these And swing like a man on the fried chopies And if you don't like it, you grab on these And now I need some help for the right so please Yeah! Ha! So look at here Check the flavor of the rhythm I wrote. And while I get a chance here, let me clear my throat. <laughs> oh! Me. Ha! I hope they don't mind. Let me clear my throat. I need these monitors right here. Music in the monitors. And it's all a little something like this here. Now, if... <laughs> Back in the spring of 2018, I lost a job because I took one day off of work. Why did I take off of work? 
At the time, my mental health was at an all-time low, and the stress of a desk job coupled with my own problems manifested as migraines, stomach pains, and constant drowsiness that hung over me like a cloud. So I got fired from my ad sales job at the radio station, More FM, and with my newfound free time, I decided to buy myself something nice and fancy, a commemorative coin, specifically on May 27th, 2018, I bought a $20 commemorative coin from the White House. That's right, the White House. The tax on the coin was $1.20 and the shipping and handling was $11.92, making this coin $33.07, a $33 purchase for a commemorative coin. And it was not the brightest decision considering I was unemployed and really could have used that 3307 during the two month long job hunt where I didn't have enough money to make rent on an apartment I had prematurely signed the lease on with no real plan. Anyway, I figured it would take a little while for this coin to come through the mail. It is the White House after all. Three weeks go by and I figure I'll give it some more time before I say anything. Six weeks go by and now it's mid-July. I email the White House and say, Hello, when may I have my coin? They reply and tell me I should have it about mid-August. Mid-August rolls around, the Ides of August, if you will. I say nothing because I figure that I'm just out 3307. That 3307 has been taken by the government like so much of my money has in the past, and I should just cut my losses. August passes, September passes, and I'm chagrined, admittedly. And then finally, September 7th, 2018, I emailed the White House one more time saying, Hello, I ordered a commemorative coin in May. Order number is 75864, placed on 0527, 2018 at 11.32 a.m. And I was told that I would receive this coin by August. It is now September. When may I receive this coin? See? I didn't get just any coin. The official name for this coin is Coin, Korea Singapore Summit Limited and Edge Numbered Historic Moments Collection, President Donald J. Trump and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, official White House gift shop seen in open global news. And six days later, my coin arrives. The coin's design is nicer than I had expected. On it, the coin mashes up the North Korean flag and the American flag. A half-portrait profile of Donald Trump faces a half-portrait profile of Kim Jong-un. Around the picture it reads, President Donald J. Trump dash Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un in quotations peace talks. Around that it reads, United States of America 2018 Democratic People's Republic of Korea. The other side shows an unremarkable building. I think it's a, a government building, perhaps the Capitol in Washington DC or some building that I don't know about in North Korea with a standard globe grid backdrop in the background. There's a dove with one olive branch in its mouth, and that's double symbolism, baby, for peace. There's the word historic in English attached to some Korean writing as well. The words new hope, new leadership, new era, and new generation are inscribed around the cliched olive branch stock footage. Meanwhile, lastly, around that it reads, South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un signed the Panmunjom John Declaration of Peace, Prosperity, and Unification of the Korean Peninsula, April 27th, 2018. The thing is, this coin 
is incredibly wrong. Like, incredibly historically wrong. Donald Trump was not at the summit on April 27th, 2018. Donald Trump was in America on April 27th, 2018. Not at a summit with Moon Jae-in or Kim Jong-un. He was with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. The coin makes no logical sense, sends a very strange message, and is actively being sold by the White House. This coin, in a very little and strange way, validates North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, calling him supreme leader. The word supreme dictionary definition superior to all others, including the other man on the coin, I suppose, if one of these leaders is supreme and the others isn't. The coin also refers to North Korea by the same terms that Kim Jong-un prefers, the DPRK, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Democratic, definition meaning, relating to or supporting democracy or its principles, synonyms, elected. Kim Jong-un was never elected. North Korea is not a democracy. I'm going to say something that is both true and dramatic. This coin is a national disgrace. A national disgrace that is, as I wrote this episode, being talked about in the White House. Need proof? According to Debbie Lord of Cox Media Group National News Desk and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, quote, The coin was first offered at $24.94, price dropped to 1995 after the summit was canceled and then went up to $49 when the meeting was back on. It was being offered as the deal of the day at $39 in 2018, unquote. I bought my coin at the 1995 mark because I'm thrifty. Always nice to learn you bought at the lowest possible time. But on September 20th, 2018, the White House was selling this coin as the deal of the day for $100. And as of October 3rd, 2019, it remained the deal of the day. Pretty long day, huh? Now, as I read this script that I've been writing for two years, on November 17th, 2020, a few weeks after Trump was voted out of office, this goddamn coin sits at the price of $250 on the White House gift shop website. Which means that on some level, whether it be at the gift shop or Trump himself or some weird coin department of the merch team for the White House, someone inside the White House is actively changing the price of this coin for the last two years for reasons that are unexplainable to me. I've reached out to the White House for comment because I'm a journalist and a serious one at that. One of the email addresses on the White House gift shop stationery is for a man named Anthony Giannini, whose email is addressed to harvard.edu. So clearly, there are some smarty-pants Ivy League types making these big coin decisions. New hope, new leadership, new era, new generation. The coin reads about Moon Jae-in, South Korea's president who was the previous president's chief of staff. About Kim Jong-un, a monarchical dictator who took over the country from his father. And Donald Trump. A man who did not attend the April 2018 summit and won the presidency of the United States based off his celebrity. I'm happy to share this stupid, stupid coin with you. It looks so official. It's the heaviest coin I own. To the plain eye, you'd miss all the lies. 
Maybe I'm a crazy person for carrying this much, but I think that this coin is evidence of why I'm so crazy. This coin had to be designed, produced, marketed, and sold. It fails at each of those points, but only seems to be getting more and more valuable as time passes, proving that our economy is completely fake, despite being the cause of worldwide suffering. As the Donald Trump presidency fades away, this coin will become the antique that I knew it would. In just two years, it went from worth $20 to $250, and it didn't get any more accurate, doesn't get any prettier, it doesn't make any more sense. If anything, it's propaganda to prop up a dictator and our relationships to them. It's, it talks about Korean unification, but as I sit here and record into this microphone, Korea has not been unified. It talks about peace, but... I don't see any peace. Maybe between these two countries, their peace, based on the fact that there is no good reason for us to be fighting in the first place, but I guess there is no coin to commemorate the idea that we shouldn't be fighting in the first place. Anyway, feel free to track down the coin. See how much it's worth in 2100. Maybe it's worth nothing. Maybe it's the most valuable thing in America. Antiques, similar to water, power, baked goods, groceries, art, construction materials, insurance, have no real price. They have no real cost. Because nothing has a real cost. What is the value of a tree standing in the woods? And how does that differ from the price of wood? Nothing has a price or any worth until... Someone comes along and puts a price on it. So, whether it be a useless coin or the goods and services we put forth each day, try to understand the value or the lack of value. Because it's either nothing is inherently valuable or everything's inherently valuable. Context kind of decides that. Anything you want at Alice's restaurant, excepting Alice, you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. So walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track, and you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. At Alice's What we're going to close this episode on is some audio from October 5th, 2019. October 5th, 2019 was the day that myself and Scott Boaches went out to the Gerard Avenue Street Festival to promote the podcast. If you remember season two, the social media and posting episode, there's audio with a rogue flat earther. Uh, that was on the streets of North Philly at the Gerard Avenue Street Festival when I was promoting the podcast. And uh, to, sh to tell you guys what we did, we put a bunch of episode topics in a hat, and then we interviewed random people who wanted to be interviewed. 
and one of those people is Sheena. And we talked to Sheena about antiques, and I think she sums it up pretty well, um, just like the reality of how antiques and objects have value over time. It's a very funny, quick interview. Uh, but yeah, thank you to Adam Stevens, Scoop Cooper. Um, we used Arlo Guthrie's music at Alice's Restaurant. That's the show. Uh, give it up for Sheena. What is your name? I'm Sheena. Where are you from, Sheena? Philadelphia, PA. Okay, so we're out here at the Gerard Fest. You're my neighbor. You're bossing me around. You're being rude. You got laundry detergent taking my spot. You're making me move close to this thing. I don't appreciate that. So let's get that first and foremost to start well, the interview. No, 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 no. I'm kidding. There. How about that? I'm kidding. Okay, all right. So the topic you picked was antiques, okay? Okay. Very boring topic. We don't care about antiques at all, right? Well, they must be interesting because they keep being around. Everywhere yeah. I go, you see antiques. Do you own any antiques? I don't. Do you think antiques matter? Maybe. <laughs> that's what the time. That's what Maybe. The See, this is the question I'm asking people. <laughs> because there must be some value in antiques. What are people buying them for? Well, here's the idea. So, the premise of an antiques in general is that things get more valuable with time. Okay. And see, my podcast is all about the future, the year 2100. Nice. So one day, the things you own could be antiques. Now that you put it that way, okay. I like how that sounds. Uh, no, no, no. So, um, <laughs> what is there anything that you own that you think would be a valuable antique to the people of the year 2100? Hmm. No. <laughs> I'm only you don't 40. Own shit. I'm only 42 years old. I don't collect anything. No, no, no. There's not anything that you just own that might be no, valuable. No, I have nothing one of value. You got <laughs> nothing. I don't got shit. I don't either. have gold. I don't have silver. I don't have nothing. <laughs> I really love that. <laughs> when I go, everything's going with me. <laughs> no, because I feel you. Antiques seem hard in the future because everything's fucking made by Walmart. So back in the day, <laughs> you saw some shit you thought was from China. Hi. It probably came from China rather than it just a Walmart made some shit that looked like it was from China. You could buy shit that looks like it's from China in Tennessee. You're right. No, but uh, I, and to be fair to, to, to argue with you, I think your glasses are nice. Your glasses could be a dope antique. I've never seen glasses like that. Oh, okay. All right. I'm liking your flavor well since we're there. <laughs> I have a lot of glasses. So, yes. I'm about... I got about 20 pair of glasses. These style age as well. And, and, and different looks come back. You're right. Okay. I agree. All right. And my fanny packs. Yeah. Oh, you do got do fanny packs? Do you got anything to they say to the people of 2100? I see people coming up and you, you, you want that buck. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Do you, anything, <laughs> They'll be back. do you have anything specific to say to the people of the year 2100? If they're listening right now? Well, if there's any way you cannot work for yourself, do it. <laughs> you hate being Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I, tra- I changed that backwards. If there's any way you can walk, work for yourself and not clock in, so not fuck punch having in, bosses. Yeah, be your own boss. I feel you. Hit that again. I got a pound. Thank you for coming on. All right. Yeah, 2100. This will be out in 2020. <laughs> Follow right. us on everything. Awesome. Uh, uh, I don't work jobs, bitch. I am a job. You don't like it? Take a hike. Pay me for a sucker slop. I'm a rich ass bitch with an attitude. Happy down, but I whoop you like your mama do. I don't 
all the music and shit ended. What are you listening for? Why are you still listening? Go listen to an old episode of 2100 or fucking listen to a song. Go listen to a song. Go don't 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 be listening to this anymore, okay? The episode is done. Stop listening. There's no change it. Change it, change it, change it, change it, change it, change it. There's no reason to be fucking listening to this anymore. The episode is done. The episode is done. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this, but the episode is done. Turn this off. There's nothing to do with antiques anymore. All the antique stuff, everything about 2100, that's done. We're not doing that. We oh we did that. I do. I played the shitty girls, the city girls, and it was Sheena. And I didn't mean to call the city girls the shitty girls. I was just thinking about Sheena, and I was talking about the city girls. But then it sounded like I said the shitty girls. But if I felt that way, why would I use them in the episode? I feel like people don't even consider why I use the music. For certain episodes, but it doesn't matter. Turn off the podcast. Why are you still listening? The episode is done. There's no reason to be still hearing this. I turned, it's already happened. We had Adam Stevens, Scoop Cooper, and then Sheena. Isn't that enough? The episode is done. Just because I'm continuing to talk and that the episode is still technically running doesn't mean that this is a part of the episode. This has nothing to do with the episode. This isn't a part of the episode and it shouldn't even be here and you shouldn't be listening to this. You shouldn't be listening to this, and it, it, yeah, well, you are, and I'm mad about it, because if you're listening to this, that means you didn't turn it off like I told you to, and you probably think there's going to be something after this, there's not. There's not. It's not coming up. There's nothing to come up. There's nothing else I have to say about antiques. There's no monologue. There's not another guest. There's no more rhyming or songs. It's just me telling you to not listen to this. You shouldn't even be here. This shouldn't even be in the episode. Oh, and you shouldn't be even, this isn't even something that someone should be listening to. There's no reason. Uh, I've got nothing to give you. I've got no jokes even. This was a bit. This was a bit. And it's going on too long. So even if you were listening, even if you were listening, even if you were listening, because... You were, you were like, this is a funny bit. This is a funny bit that Jason's doing, that it, the episode's done, and that it's you know, we shouldn't be listening. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, stop listening to this right now, please. Because the episode's done. This, I'm not going to talk about antiques or the year 2100 anymore. There's I, I had three guests. They were good guests. Thank you to the guests. And... 
thank you uh, to to the, the to great artists that make the the music in this episode and uh, uh, just stop listening to this. I I don't know. You think I'm gonna stop? You think I'm gonna stop doing this? Well, you're right. Goodbye and have a great day.